What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Pakel. Welcome into the Hard Count the People show. For every single thing that you know and that you love about college football, it happens here on a daily basis. The show that is not looking for a new head coach anytime soon, but there's a chance that your program is. We're going to jump into that tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like podcasts, you're more of a podcast person, one, still watch the show, don't go anywhere, but you can listen to the show back in your podcast feed, whether you're on Apple, whether you're on Spotify, you can find the hard count, okay? So make sure you're tuned in there. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We do this twice a week, the long form that is. The content on this channel though, the hard count itself, you can find us on a daily basis. So our longer form stuff's gonna be during the week, also, a longer form episode on Sunday night to recap everything from your college football Saturday. But we have a great show lined up for you. We have four, count them, four game previews and predictions that we are psyched to get into. We got five winners for Against the Suits. We're starting to heat up, all right? It was a slow build, just like it always is at the beginning of college football season, but we're starting to catch our rhythm. Five winners and at your own risk to wrap this thing up. To start the show, though... I prefaced it just a little bit, just a little tease, but Deion Sanders is a name that is going to be routinely talked about in the coming days when it comes to the college football coaching carousel. Jeff Collins was fired very recently as the head coach at Georgia Tech. A lot of you saw this coming. A lot of us thought this was inevitable. It eventually happened. So that's the third job now to come available in the very young college football season. You got Nebraska being open, you have Arizona State open, and now Georgia Tech. You would assume that Auburn is one of those programs that will likely have a vacancy at the head coaching spot as well soon. So like I said, Deion Sanders is a name that is consistently thrown around when it comes to these conversations. And Deion Sanders is a pulverizing figure just given the fact that his name's Deion Sanders. He was a baller in the league. He also played Major League Baseball, was now the head coach of Jackson State. And a lot of people are now wondering, should Deion Sanders get a Power 5 head coaching job? From what I understand, his name has been rumored in different circles in years past. Is this the year where he finally gets it? We're going to break down some pros and some cons and ultimately give you how I think it would end up shaking out if you do hire him. So first... The obvious is, if you hire Deion Sanders as your head coach, brings a whole lot of buzz to your program. Just the name, Deion, the, the, the brand even more so, that Deion Sanders is, creates so much excitement around a program. I think he would be a really good fit from a buzz perspective at Georgia Tech. And people have said this before, I'm going to say it again, his brand, especially in the city of Atlanta, cannot be overstated. So with him being at the helm at Georgia Tech, I think the recruiting would ultimately reach a whole new level. Now, how does that stack up to the rest of the conference? I think it probably takes some time, but you would also imagine in the transfer portal day and age that some of that top talent from Jackson State that he's been able to get there would likely, you would assume, follow him to wherever he goes next. If it's Georgia Tech, I think you probably grab a larger percentage of those players just by nature of the location, Jackson State isn't that far from Georgia Tech. All that sort of fits in well, in my opinion. The second piece of this is, well, he doesn't have a ton of experience. 
A lot of you know how this works when it comes to the coaching ladder and how you climb that. Usually you start out as a GA, if not a volunteer, and then from a GA you get to being a position coach, from position coach, maybe a coordinator, and then if the things fall in line how you would like them to, you eventually get to have that head coaching position. Deion Sanders coached at the high school level and then parlayed that into now being the head coach at Jackson State. So he hasn't necessarily cut his teeth the same way. Nothing wrong with that, but I think it's fair to have a little bit of pause before handing him the keys to a Power 5 program. Because Deion Sanders is 19-5 and as a head coach. I'm not talking about the win percentage. That's great. But to have only been a head coach for 24 games and have no other college coaching experience outside of that, there might be some other conversations we got to have during this interview process before we hire Deion Sanders. So, with that being said... The head coaches, depending on the program, typically manage culture. You're more so a CEO than you are in the weeds as a coach. So I think this whole Deion Sanders to a Power 5 job could work if it were the right program, but I think there's a certain way you go about it. And that is similar to a model I like to compare to the phenomenal movie with Will Ferrell, Mike Ditka, Kicking and Screaming. In that movie, Will Ferrell takes over the head coach of a youth soccer team, realizes he's not so much hands-on with the soccer, hires a great coach that is more hands-on in Mike Dicka. This is not to knock Deion Sanders as a coach. I just think you could probably make up for some of the things that he may lack from an experience standpoint by hiring him, whoever that Mike Dicka equivalent would be. And I think Deion Sanders would attract some of those great coaches. I'm just saying, if you hire Deion Sanders as head coach, you have to make sure that that staff underneath him is ready to roll. Because if it's just Deion Sanders and the rest of the staff is sort of up in the air, I like this fit a whole lot less. Now, of the three jobs that are open right now, Nebraska, Arizona State, and Georgia Tech, again, I think Georgia Tech is by far and away the fit that makes the most sense. You could talk about Auburn a little bit if you want to, I have a little bit of pause throwing Deion Sanders into the SEC given the very, very small sample size we have for him as a head coach. So could it work? Absolutely. Are there appealing things about it? 100%. The buzz around the program, the recruiting he would probably bring you are very, very encouraging things and appealing things to make him your head coach. But the lack of experience is something that you would sort of have to have a trade-off with. Bottom line, I believe he will get a Power 5 job. Whether it's this year or in years to come, sounds like and feels like that's his goal to eventually get to the Power 5 level. I think it's a matter of time. But again, if it's going to be one of these three jobs that are open right now, you want to go ahead and throw the Auburn job in there and call it four jobs open right now, be my guess, but I think Georgia Tech is probably the spot that he would land at. But Deion Sanders a name that we now are going to and have to talk about when it comes to the college football coaching carousel. Again, Deion Sanders in Atlanta, they just go well together. They just do. If you're watching this being in the city of Atlanta, you know what I'm talking about. Was a great Brave, was a great Falcon. He gets the city. I think he could get Georgia Tech to a really exciting place. So that's very, very quietly and cautiously the fit I would be pulling for when it comes to this whole moving and shaking of the coaching carousel. With that behind us, we got some games to talk about. A very, very solid slate coming up. They're always a solid slate, but from the eye test, 
you have people in the background sort of chattering and murmuring, oh, the slate looks, insert whatever adjective you want. They always have an opinion. We don't pay too much mind to that. Really great slate from where we're sitting. One of the favorite games for me, probably the first game that I'm watching, not first game that I'm watching, we're watching all of them, the game that's number one in our powered ratings that I'm watching, number two, Alabama is going to Arkansas to play the Razorbacks. Now, Alabama is favored by 17 points. For the, pers- excuse me, for the first part of the season, Alabama hasn't really been tested too much outside of that game at Texas. And I think for Alabama going into this game, that's sort of the narrative they're trying to correct. Maybe not the Texas game specifically, but there is some doubts around this program from people that follow it really closely and probably even within the locker room or maybe miscues that they're trying to correct in a big way and make a statement in this game that, no, we're still Alabama. We're still the big dog. Watch this. For Arkansas, coming off a really close loss to Texas A&M, a game that they really were in control of, probably should have won. The fumble on the goal line, I guess in the red zone at least, really caused the thing to kind of go off the rails a little bit, and Arkansas couldn't get out of their own way. For Arkansas, I think they're actually more dangerous after that loss because now they have all of their motivation and and fire that they would need going into this game. If they're undefeated, still a huge game. Maybe you get college game day on campus. Maybe that's the way we talk about it differently. But Arkansas, I think that they have a new level of focus heading into this game because of the loss to Texas A&M. Nonetheless, 17 points is a big spread. The people in Vegas have big towers because of spreads like this that end up hitting. We'll give you our thoughts on the spread in a minute. But if Arkansas is going to pull off this upset, it's going, to keep, it's going to take a couple of things. Everybody and their mother will want to talk to you about the secondary for Arkansas. It was well documented. Had issues against Missouri State. Over 350 yards. They've been beat up. They've got some problems on the back end. Alabama, trying to make a statement. Trying to prove they still have that vertical presence trying to kind of get that piece going for this offense. And this could be the game where you say, hey, Alabama puts it together going deep. They finally figure it out. They're going to try and test Arkansas. And I'm not so much worried about Arkansas winning that matchup. I don't think that's where our focus should be. I think the focus should be on the line of scrimmage. Can Arkansas get to Bryce Young and make him uncomfortable? It may not be reflected in the numbers as obviously. If you look at a stat sheet, When you turn on the tape and watch Alabama, they have had issues at times protecting Bryce Young. So for Arkansas, I don't think that you win on the back end. I think you win by getting to Bryce Young and forcing some errant passes and making him uncomfortable, even more so making him see ghosts and causing him to be inaccurate. If you can get to the root of the problem and get to the quarterback before he has a chance to beat you deep, I think that's how Arkansas could have a chance in this game. Now, offensively, This will be the first time for Alabama where they have to play a true dual threat in K.J. Jefferson. For Arkansas, can K.J. Jefferson be that ace in the hole for you? Can he be that great equalizer, that great playmaker that keeps you in this game? Because Alabama, they haven't seen someone like him. Like we just talked about, this will be the first time. But we did see Hudson Card from Texas make a few plays with his legs. It wasn't like he gashed him. I mean, Hudson Card was hobbling around there to begin with, but there was a little bit something there to where you say, okay, if I'm Arkansas, I might try and test that ever so slightly. Something to keep an eye on. But if you're going to beat Bama, historically, 
you usually need some kind of dual threat or elite playmaker at quarterback. Can KJ Jefferson be that for them? I'm very excited to see. Now, this might be the most crucial part of the entire breakdown as it pertains to Arkansas trying to beat Alabama. Because similar to what we talked about with Arkansas has got to get to Bama, Bama has got some dudes in the front seven. Will Anderson, absolute dog. Dallas Turner, absolute dog. But you already know this because you're a diehard college football fan. If I'm Arkansas, the real test lies, can we test their secondary? Even more so, can we get Jaden Hazelwood the football? Can we at least give him some 50-50 opportunities? That only happens if you can protect KJ Jefferson. If you can't keep him off the ground, you're going to have issues all day long. So can you protect him? Can you find a way to win those matchups against Will Anderson, against Dallas Turner, against those front seven that they're bringing at you? If you can allow him a little bit of time, I actually think the secondary for Alabama might be at a slight disadvantage against a guy like Jaden Hazelwood. He's listed at 6'3". He's a big body. We saw Texas 50-50 them to death and have issues all day long. It was either a catch or a P.I. That's the game that I think Arkansas wants to play on the back end. They're going to test that. Now, for Alabama, the edge that they want to attack is the pass game, yes. They want to get the chemistry going deep, and I think that's ultimately the reason. We'll talk more about that in a second. The running backs, Jameer Gibbs, Jason McClellan, they're pretty good out of the backfield catching the football. Drew Sanders, Bumper Pool, they've struggled in pass coverage. Bama is going to try and dink and dunk and find matchups they can win or try to create situations they can win with those matchups. And I think the hope is that you can utilize those in the intermediate game until the deep pass gets there. Because like we talked about, if they can protect Bryce Young, there's going to be matchups that are won on the outside. The issue so far, and Vanderbilt's a little bit of the exception, they kind of got it going against Vanderbilt, but the issue so far with the deep pass game isn't speed. I don't believe it's so much scheme. I think it's chemistry. Because you remember a season ago, Bryce Young was dropping back and just dropping bombs. Who was dropping those bombs to? Jamison Williams, who's now in the NFL, deservedly so. But Jamison Williams is a 4-3-4-2 kind of guy. Jermaine Burton is not a 4-3-4-2 kind of guy. That's Tyler Harrell. He'll get there eventually, but right now he's having to still calibrate and find that chemistry in the deep game with some of these guys. So they're going to get there. It's like baseball. If you can go one for three in baseball, you're an All-American or you're a Hall of Famer, whatever you want to call it. You go one for three in the deep game, that might start to erase this narrative. That might build that confidence. That might start to accelerate the chemistry they have between Bryce Young and this outside receiving group, namely Jermaine Burton. But until then, if they can work the intermediate game, and like I said, these running backs can be the answer in the pass game and win some of those one-on-one matchups, that's what Alabama's going to try and test. Now, how frequently can you do that until it's, hey, they're creeping up, they're playing the intermediate game too much, we got to test them deep. I'm excited to see how that develops, but that's something to watch for Alabama. And then in addition to that, the edge defenders, like we already talked about, those two dogs coming off the edge. They like their matchups. If they can get one-on-one, can they create one-on-one? Remains to be seen, but it really does come down to the line of scrimmage, as it always does in the game of football. How big of an impact does Will Anderson have on this game? Is, he, is this where he sort of takes over, has two sacks, and KJ Jefferson's running for his life? Or do they quit going to death? Do they read option to death? Do they run away from him? That's something that will develop over the course of this game.
Here's one of the hinge points for me, though. Bryce Young took over the Texas game. This isn't a situation where you want to ask Bryce Young to again take over. I think he can. I don't know that you want him to. I don't know that you feel like this is a game where, hey, if Bryce Young's not on our sideline, we lose. That's not the story you want to be talking about if you're Tech, or excuse me, if you're Bama after this game, similar to the Texas game. Bama wants to play a team game. They want their all facets of their team to be on in this game. You're saying no, duh. Well, that wasn't the case against Texas. If you want to rewrite some of these narratives, you want to make a statement, you want to erase some of those concerns people have about you, maybe some of those concerns you have silently in your locker room, this is the game to do it. And if number nine's bailing you out, that's not the way this thing goes. Another hinge point, how much can that front seven take care of business? Because those safeties are going to be a really crucial point for, for this team. Is the front seven up to the task? Is the front seven able to continue to play up on K.J. Jefferson and just sort of neutralize him? Maybe he's not getting him for a tackle for a loss, but it's three yards. Maybe it's two yards. It's enough to force passing downs. Because if you have to bring those safeties up, well, then you leave those corners on an island. And again, that's not something that you want to do. So when all the dust settles, who do we think wins this game? Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to get to our best bets here at the end of this show. We don't think Alabama covers 17. That's not a knock on Alabama, but they haven't been great on the road historically. They weren't great on the road early this year in Austin. We think that Arkansas covers the spread. We think they get something going offensively to at least press Alabama. At the end of the day, though, we think Bryce Young does enough. We think that... They hit a few deep, ultimately kind of getting some of that chemistry going a little bit more than they have in the past. Jermaine Burton has a big game. We think matchup-wise, Alabama has enough to win this game. We like them to win 34-31. to 31. Alabama escapes close on the road. This is going to be a tough one for Nick Saban's heart, but we do think Alabama wins that game. I'm excited to watch that one, though, because Arkansas, like we talked about, they're irritated. They, they feel like they should have been undefeated going into this game. Hits off the top of the upright against Texas A&M. I think this is a, a very dangerous Arkansas team that Alabama is about to play and go into their house. Nonetheless, we like Tide to roll on that one. NC State is going to Clemson. College game day will be there. It's a top 10 matchup. A lot of conversations around the weather. Hurricane Ian will likely impact this game, will impact the gameplay of this game, but Clemson is favored by six and a half. NC State feels like they are exactly where they expected to be at this point in the year. Undefeated. They had this one circled at the beginning of the year as sort of the fork in the road for their program. And a lot of people forget NC State won this game a season ago. Tell you who didn't forget, everybody in that NC State locker room. And they are very much trying to prove again to the nation that they're here. That wasn't a fluke last year. They're trying to be the big dogs in the ACC, and it's hard to blame them. For Clemson, I had the, the conversation with Matt Conley from Clemson Sports about, hey, you had a really emotional game last week if you're Clemson. Is there any possibility that there's sort of that emotional letdown? And he just sort of chuckled and said no. No, no, no. Th this rivalry game... The bad blood that's gone into this rivalry game the past few years, 
Clemson will get up for it. And I 1,000% agree. I've talked to him a little bit more. For NC State, can the pass game be an advantage? Because we saw last week, Clemson got 50-50 to death. I mean, Wake Forest and Sam Hartman was setting school records for passing touchdowns. They were able to really take advantage of that secondary. Now, Clemson feels like they're going to have some guys back. They said that last week, too. But they're young last week. Maybe those young guys play again. Sort of a, a mystery as to who they'll have available. But for Clemson, they're not quite as concerned, given the playmakers for NC State. Tell you who they should be concerned about, though, Devin Leary. One of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think this is the game where he has to step up and prove to the nation and validate to the nation all of the preseason hype that he got. So they're going to try and test that secondary like we already talked about, but I'm curious to see how much the weather impacts that variable. Now on the defensive side of the ball for NC State, DJ Uyunglele has played pretty well for Clemson, but the NC State defense is sort of watching that tape and saying, okay, did that against Wake Forest, did that against Furman. That's fine. It's all, it's all well and good. That's fine. You haven't played a defense like us. You haven't seen a unit like us just yet. And so you could look at this two ways. You could say, okay, for DJ Uyunglele, he sort of built his confidence. He's worked up different levels of difficulty to now play this NC State defense. Or you could say, NC State's going to have that shock factor. That's going to be available. And I think both of those are very real. I'm just interested to see which one of those rears its head first. For Clemson, it can't be the same script as last week. You can't get gashed over the top over and over again. And on the offensive side, I don't think you can really exploit what you exploited last week either. The length of those tight ends and receivers for Clemson was really the, the ace in the hole for them last week. That, I don't think that's going to be something that's available. No knock on Wake Forest, but like we just talked about, NC State's defense is a different animal. With the weather coming down to likely being pretty soggy to say the least. I mean, you're going to have to be able to run the football in this game consistently. So whether that's NC State, whether it's Clemson, whoever can put themselves in more favorable situations running the football will likely have a better chance to win this game. Now, here's what I will say. Games like this, where it's stormy conditions and the ball is slick and you're running it first, second, sometimes even third down, oftentimes, as weird as it sounds to say, comes down to your quarterback making a play on a passing down late in the game. When it's DJ Uyunglele or whether it's Devin Leary, one of these cats will have to make a play to win this game for their football team. So I think it ultimately comes down to who do you like? Maybe you flip that conversation and say, who do you like defensively in that situation? As a whole, when it comes to the rain and it comes to the environment of the atmosphere, it's tough to go into Death Valley, period, let alone go into Death Valley at night. I think Clemson is continuing to work up to a game like this based on what we've seen from them. I think they're tired of hearing about little old Clemson, all the doubt around their program and doubt around their offense and this, that, and the other. I think this is the game where Clemson sort of flexes their muscles, straightens their back, puffs out their chest a little bit, and reclaims, I don't want to say supremacy, but they, they reclaim sort of their, their authority over what they believe is theirs. And I think they end up winning this game. Now, let's say this. If Clemson is to win this game, think about what that would mean for this Dabo Sweeney coach football team. 
all the conversations in the offseason about the offense not being good enough and can they hold up this, that, and the other. If they win this game, that tells me a couple of things. That DJ Uyunglele is good enough to get them to where they want to go because they're not going to see defenses a whole lot better than NC State the rest of the way until they get to, you would imagine, ACC title game, maybe, maybe even the college football playoff. Whole other conversation for another time. But you can win with DJ. I think it also means that your coordinators are far along enough to where you are able to win these kind of games. Because Wes Goodwin last week, I was unimpressed. And I am not going to go here and say that I know Clemson's defense inside and out like he does. But multiple times, they were sitting in man-to-man, and Wake Forest was just having whatever they wanted over the top. And in this game, Wes Goodwin will have to be able to adjust because they were having holes just poked left and right in that raft, and they were taking on water until they finally adjusted and got out of that man-to-man. If that's the case in this game, they need to make sure that they adjust quickly. And I think to win this game, that will have to have been the case. But again, we think Clemson wins this game. We think they find a way to get enough plays, which is funny as it sounds, they get enough plays at the end of the game from DJ Uyunglele. They get enough from the running game that steps up consistency-wise. Clemson ends up winning this game in an ugly, ugly fashion, slippery, sliding conditions, 20-17 to in Death Valley. Regardless, though, that's going to be a good one to watch as well. I'm telling you, there is no shortage of good matchups. There never is. The numbers next to the name don't mean a whole lot. Just turn on the television and enjoy what's about to go down. We're going to stay in the ACC for this one. This next one is Wake Forest going to Florida State. Ranked matchup, Florida State is favored by seven points. Florida State, a team that if you grew up in the 1990s into the 2000s, you know Florida State kind of being that team that's got the the chop and, and the war chant and all that, which is great, but they've been down as of late. Since Jimbo Fisher has left, it's sort of been a house of horrors for them. Maybe that's a strong verbiage to use, but I don't think we're too far off in saying that Florida State is on the climb back. And that's sort of the theme of this program. Florida State still feels like they're trying to prove themselves. And this is another opportunity for them to do that in a game like this. Offensively, with Jordan Travis being the trigger man for Florida State, their offense has taken on the persona of yes-men. Now, what do I mean by that? They're just taking whatever the defense gives them. They're saying, hey, we're going to take away the big play from you. All right, that's fine. Hand the ball to Treshawn Ward. Let's get three. Let's get four. Let's live that way. They say, actually, we're going to stack the box. We're coming up tight. We're going to make sure that we stop the run. That's how we're going to get down this week. Jordan Travis and company say, okay, that's fine, too. We're good with that. Four different receivers have led this team in receiving the last four games. Doesn't matter. Whoever it is is going to step up. Johnny Wilson had himself day and a half the other Friday night. I mean, he's eight foot nine. He could be a problem in this game because Wake Forest showed last week they have issues guarding big body receivers. Just ask Clemson. They had themselves a field day. Got DJ Uyunglele a whole lot of national attention because of what they did with those lengthy guys. I think Johnny Wilson's a guy to watch in this game. Now, defensively, here's my question for Florida State. Because as many troubles as Wake Forest has on the defensive side of the ball, we'll talk about that in a minute, they're really good offensively. 
Sam Hartman, one of the best arms in the country. We'll love to see him playing football again. That's phenomenal. Are you able to stay out of playing man coverage? This is sort of a tale of caution from Clemson. Because if you have to play man coverage, that means you're having to commit more to the run game. In theory, right? They run this slow RPO. They're going to just hold it, hold it, hold it in the running back's belly until he gets maybe even to the line of scrimmage and then pulls it out, throw. If you can be good enough in that front seven, especially on this defensive line that's not at full strength right now, if you can be good enough on that defensive line, then you're able to play a little more zone and give your defensive backs a little more help over the top. I think that needs to be the case for Florida State. Because if you're having to commit extra bodies to the run game, you're leaving more of your defensive backs exposed. And A.T. Perry's making plays. They got a lot of guys in this Wake Forest receiving core that are really pretty underrated nationally. But they won't stay that way if you have to commit extra guys to the run game and leave them on an island. So that's something to watch for Florida State. Can you commit enough guys on the back end and still play the run game solid? Something to watch for. Now for Wake Forest, you've got issues in the defense. Okay, You're giving up 37 points a game. It's not good. I don't think that's novel analysis. That is not very good. Now on the same page, they've been pretty good taking the ball away. So they've sort of been high risk, high reward to a degree. Averaging two and a half takeovers a game, you can't really bank on that, but you're going to need to have it in this game. You're going to need to find a way to take the ball away. And then on top of that, you're going to need to push the tempo. So you don't necessarily need stops on downs, but you need to create extra extra possessions. And you just trust Sam Hartman in this offense to push, 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 and try and win the game that way. A track meet favors Wake Forest, in my opinion. Florida State, likely the game plan is not to let it become that. But for Wake Forest, I think it's got to be we might need to score 40. It might have to be a 41-38 kind of game for Wake Forest to win. I think that's the game that they may eventually have to shift to at some point. But again, getting turnovers, it's hard to necessarily game plan for. It's always a point of emphasis, but you might need a few turnovers to be able to win this game if you're Wake Forest. So here's what it comes down to. Florida State is going to play ping pong with Wake Forest. Like we said, it's going to take what the defense gives them, going to do their best to play solid on the back end, not allow too much of the big play, and just kind of keep it all in front of them. What do, we mean, what do we mean when we say ping pong? Just you hit it over as hard as you can. We're not trying to score necessarily when we hit it back. We're just trying to return it. Just return, return, return until Wake Forest makes that mistake. If Florida State can dictate the tempo, manipulate the pace of this game, maybe it's 13-0 early in the game. Maybe Florida State's just sort of taking their time running the football. Maybe Jordan Travis off play action, hit somebody deep. That's the formula I think Florida State wants to play with. That's the formula I think Florida State will play with. They're solid across the board. And this Florida State team is not similar to the Florida State team that you've known the last three to four years. This is going to be a game that Florida State wins and makes a statement. This is a Florida State team, doesn't give the game away. When things go left, and they will go left in this football game, as they always do in every game, whether it's a turnover, whether it's a penalty, Sometimes momentum swings your way or swings the other way. Whenever momentum doesn't swing their way, they don't break. They stick together, they play together, and I think they ultimately end up winning this game. I think it's still close. I think Wake Forest's ability to score presses the issue. But at the end of the day, 
Florida State wins this game 31-29. to The Knolls are back. Eh, I don't know if they're back. I don't know if I love that, Nick. I, they're, they're back so far, all right? Can we pump the brakes a little bit? I got, got a little carried away there. That was a fun breakdown. I'll mix, keep saying it. I'm excited to watch that game. All these games are going to be phenomenal. That's a big one for the ACC. Big week for the ACC, but we'd like Florida State to win that game. Kentucky is going to Ole Miss, and Kentucky is a six-and-a-half-point dog on the road. Now, last time that you probably watched Kentucky was when they went to the Swamp and Will Levis and company took over. This is going to be another game where they got to go on the road and try to once again prove themselves and prove to the country that they're legit. The goal in-house is still the same at Kentucky, get to Atlanta. On the other side, for Ole Miss, they've just sort of been chugging along. Haven't had to play anybody that's too difficult from a competition standpoint just yet in terms of the logos they've played against. They haven't been exceptionally clean with the games they've played. Still trying to figure out that quarterback situation in terms of how to best manage Jackson Dart. But they're going to run the football. They're going to continue to take things off of his plate and just try and beat you with the talent they have. That's how Ole Miss is going to get down. Now, for Kentucky, they feel like they are finally full strength on offense. Running back Chris Rodriguez is back in the lineup, and they said he's fresh. It's not like he's been on timeout just away from the game of football. They've been running him with the twos. They've been running him with the scout team up to this point. He's going to be ready to play. There won't be any rest or acclimation period for him is what we're hearing. So the ultimate thought for Kentucky is they feel really good, really good about that pass game. And it's hard to argue. Dane Key, Barry and Brown, Tavian Robinson, they got dudes. The guy throwing them the football is also a dude, Will Levis. They love him in the draft community. He's slowly but surely making a believer out of me on this show. We support him. I never really got the hype for sure. But to win a game like this would be crucial. Now, the concern for Kentucky is the offensive line. And... That concern is fair. He's pressured a lot. If you just drop back and pass as Will Levis, you'll likely have another grown man in your living room in a matter of a few seconds. However, they've done a great job managing him and getting him moving, whether it's been play action, whether it's been rolling him out. It hasn't been a whole lot of sitting duck Will Levis. Now, the thought is with Chris Rodriguez returning to the lineup, being able to run the football more, that just opens everything else up a ton. Because defenses will now have to honor the run game a little bit more. If you can have more success on the ground, that's always a good thing. So the thought for Kentucky is to get a few big plays through the air early, you force a defense to decide. Do we want to put pressure on Will Levis, or do we want to try and cover up the back end? To make that decision early for Ole Miss is, in a perfect world, I think the, the game Kentucky could play. Because then you don't have to worry so much about having a zero blitzer and having a corner blitz or whatever it is. You're allowed to look at a little more of a simplistic picture. And again, that favors Kentucky. So that's Kentucky for you. For Ole Miss, we talked about it at the beginning of this segment, but they want to run the football. They run it about just as much as anybody else in the country. In small part, it's because it feels like maybe Jackson Dart's leash is a little bit shorter the fact that Lane Kiffin still has to answer questions about Jackson Dart being a starting quarterback kind of points to why we're having that conversation. Jackson Dart is not lacking any talent. My opinion is he's a guy that's still sort of getting comfortable in this system. Can do a lot with his legs 
and has proven he's got a very strong and elite arm in a lot of facets, but getting it all pointed the right direction is what's going to be crucial for Ole Miss. Regardless, I mean, you, you would imagine as much. The defense is really solid for Ole Miss. They're giving up less than 14 points a game, but again, they haven't played anybody yet. They haven't seen an offense like Kentucky yet. So like we talked about with our other previews, is this a ramp up to playing a good offense or does this good offense show up and just kind of shock you? I think both are possible, but which route does Ole Miss end up going? Here's my ultimate feel on this game. Kentucky, as it pertains to their game plan, they want to run the football and then stop the run. If they can stop the run game for Ole Miss, which is a big if, but that linebacking core for Kentucky might be one of the best in the country very quietly. They're then going to look at Jackson Dart and say, Jackson Dart, can you beat us? And for Ole Miss, they may do the same thing. They might try and neutralize Chris Rodriguez if he gets rolling a little bit. Look at Will Levis and say, Will Levis, can you beat us? So then you kind of have this medieval bout going down, right? Hey, send out your best guy. We'll send out our best guy. Both our quarterbacks, duel it out. If this thing turns into a quarterback duel, like I anticipate it doing, I think Will Levis has the edge. Now, a few months ago, going into you know, the whole preseason magazine type of environment, I would have not leaned that way. But what he's done leading this offense, what he's done getting the ball to the, all these playmakers, and the way they've managed him in this NFL kind of system, I have been really impressed with the maturation and the progress that he's made to this point in the year. So for that reason, we like Kentucky to win this game. We think they win a close one, a lot of close games this weekend. We think they win 27 to 24 at Ole Miss. The Cats go into the Grove and get a huge win and signal to the rest of the country that you better be on Kentucky watch. Kentucky's a football school. I'm telling you, this is the Kentucky football. I mean, this is the basketball school turned football school season. You got Kansas in the mix. You got Kentucky in the mix. Still waiting on UConn and Arizona and all those programs, but we like Kentucky to win that game. Obviously, we like them to cover. Speaking of covering, Against the Suits is back. We have taken our lumps, to say the least. It's been a slow build. But slow builds usually have the most staying power, the most consistency. Built a wide base, all right? We're getting a lot of data. We're trying a lot of different things, and we're making sure that we get you the best picks possible. So without further ado, we're going to give you our five winners and our one more at-your-own-risk pick. Let us know how you feel about this, because I'm not so sure if we should include our at-your-own-risk at picks into our overall total. If we didn't, I believe we're above 500. If we're not, we're about a game under 500. So take that as you wish. We're going to get into it. Talking about the game that we just talked about, we like Kentucky to cover that six and a half. You know we think Kentucky wins the game outright. We think they're too tough. We like Will Levis more. We like their quarterback and their coaching staff, and we think that they end up getting it done on the road. So we like them outright. Don't take them outright just yet. We take them plus six and a half, all right? Arkansas, plus 17, another game that we broke down. Arkansas is just going to be such a tough out for this Alabama team. The way that they run the football, the way they control the line of scrimmage. They have some matchups that just favor them more than Alabama. And so 17 is a big number. We think Bama wins the game, but we think Arkansas 
is the team that covers that 17-point spread. Also, Sam Pittman and company, they're something like 19-6 and six or 20-6 and six against the spread. We like that trend. We're rolling with the Hogs. LSU minus 8.5 against Auburn. You know how we feel about Brian Harson on this show. We support him. We support his program. The unfortunate reality is the wheels are probably going to come off the wagon at some point at Auburn. You can only hear so much about your head coach being fired before that impacts your program. We think LSU wins by more than eight and a half, so obviously we take them to cover. Jaden Daniels is a dude. It's more about Auburn than it is about LSU for us, but we think that number is what you get with LSU. Went back and forth on this one. Went back and forth a couple times, but we ultimately think Washington minus three is the play against UCLA. Michael Penix has been dealing has just been absolutely putting on a show. We're happy for him. We like the Huskies. I just don't have a good enough feel on UCLA yet. I think that there's sort of a a downtrend coming for them. I don't know where, but I think Washington will ultimately have their number with Washington minus three. A program that made money for us last week was JMU. We told you a lot of juice around App State, a big emotional couple of weeks for them. They had a letdown as James Madison ended up not only covering, but winning that game. You don't turn your hands away from an ATM. So we take James Madison minus 22 and a half against Texas State. It's a big number. It's big for a reason. Don't be too worried about it. Let's put that down and make some money. All right. So JMU minus 22 and a half is our play. Here's our at-your-own-risk play, and it's going to feel a little bit wonky, but bear with us. UTSA minus four against Middle Tennessee State. They're sitting here and saying, whoa, hey, Middle Tennessee just went to Miami and took over the 305. I understand that. But what we're betting here is UTSA offensively, we think, is a really good team. Middle Tennessee has been chewing on the rat poison for the duration of this week and has so much that went into that win against Miami emotionally, it's going to be tough to get back up for this game. So we like UTSA minus four, the Roadrunners. Again, that's at your own risk. If you want to tail us, I would strongly encourage you to do so. If you're like, nah, I'm good with these five, that's great too. So to recap, we like Kentucky plus six and a half against Ole Miss. We like Arkansas plus 17 against Alabama, Woo Pig. LSU, unfortunately, we think is the final flaw for Brian Harson and they cover the eight and a half minus eight and a half that is like Washington minus three against UCLA James Madison rolled Dukes minus 22 and a half against Texas State and then the at your own risk pick is UTSA minus four against Middle Tennessee I feel good about those Nick maybe those are the famous last words I feel good about those that's probably what every better says before they lose all their money but we're, we're trending upward We're slowly but surely getting warmer and warmer. I want to make sure that everybody's on board here when we're getting hot. And I think that's going to be this week. So roll party roll. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are privileged to be able to do this for a job. And you watching this program allows us that privilege. So thank you so much for spending your time with us this evening. We're going to keep the party rolling as we always do. During the week, every single day, you got content coming from this channel. Whether it's from this show or whether it's from other phenomenal shows within the On3 network, you're not going to want to miss a minute of it. So would strongly encourage you to subscribe so we can make sure that you're getting all the content coming from us here. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all 
next time. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for watching. Subscribe to the channel here to make sure you don't miss an episode of The Hard Count. Also, be sure to check out other videos on the On3 YouTube channel.